This is episode 8 of Cinescope, and prepare for the fight scene. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Mikey Fissle to talk about one of his favorite films, Robin Hood Men in Tights. But first, Mikey, how are you doing? To hear am Chad be I glad. I mean, <laughs> I am glad to be here, Chad. I am glad you're here, Mikey. It's, it's the first time we've talked in a while. It is. Uh, like I said before the show, much to your pleasure, I am assuming, because it is no it is no easy task to try to deal with me talking about films sometime. How about you tell us about the films you talk about and where you talk about them and stuff like that? Oh, uh, well, I have been talking about film for, man, it's been three years now, three years, three and a half years or so over at my website, realworldtheology.com. We kind of have a story is powerful. Entertainment is not mindless and, and typically look at film from a, a more Christian worldview with the goal of kind of exploring the narratives that are uh, kind of permeating our culture. You know, like when everyone goes and sees this really popular film, why do they like it? Why do they not like it? What's connecting with people? Uh, what are they getting from it? You know, what kind of lessons are they are they learning without even knowing? And just having those conversations or starting those conversations are are so interesting to me uh, that I, I decided that I'd, I'd start recording it and see if any of my friends wanted to do it. And I found some people, and I found some more, and some more, and some more. And it's been a it's been a really fun time, and it's been really cool to see people's kind of reaction, to see the discussions that we've jump-started or some of the things that are in popular film that you would have never thought if you just didn't stop to have that conversation after you leave the theater. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I, I love the concept for your show. I enjoy listening to your show. And it was definitely an influence on what I wanted to do with Cinescope as far as breaking a film down into its essential elements and sort of talking about why we enjoyed it. And of course, we only talk about the films that we do enjoy uh, <laughs> rather than uh, every new film that comes out in theaters or to something to that effect. But I like your concept and I like sort of bringing that to my show as well. And of course, the way we met was you were on Movie Bite a few times while I was co-hosting that with TJ and uh, we had some good times. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, as as much as anyone can miss Movie Bite, I, I mean, I feel like I, I feel bad for saying that I miss it because I know it's kind of getting this rebirth. It's it's probably going to be even better than it was before. So I don't want to lament the past as much as as get ready and excited for the future. But um, those are some great conversations too. I love being able to take a look at all the different aspects of what makes a film. Uh, I guess what it is because I don't want to say good or bad necessarily because kind of like you're talking about. The, it's easy, it's easy to focus on the good stuff, and even if there's films that we don't really care for, almost every film is liked by somebody. Definitely. Even if it's only the people who made it. So right. <laughs> there, there, there's always something kind of cool to talk about, and I, man, I really enjoyed those conversations with you as, and TJ on Movie Bite. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and of course, you and I have actually met in person once, which is not a common <laughs> denominator among a lot of the other people I podcast with, so... That's true. I mean, it's so, it's so random, but uh, I I just it's really cool to build relationships. And I, I want to say that it maybe was your podcast I was listening to, and you're talking about how like the podcasting community is this very the kind of uh, odd and like awesome thing where you, you can just meet people that have similar. Uh, interests and likes that you do but you've never actually met them in person but there's a there's a bond that forms when you like anything else uh when you when you have a common a common goal a common interest a common love and uh i mean that's what i find uh, as far as when i talk about my faith side of things it's amazing if i bring up my faith with people who i've never met it's almost like this common connection it's like when you find somebody who 
uh, like goes, have you seen this TV show? And you're like, have I seen this TV show? That is my favorite TV show. (laughs) And suddenly you found a new best friend. You know nothing about them. You don't know where they work. You don't know where they live. You don't know how many brothers and sisters they have, but you know that you love this person because you found something in common with them. Right. And that's definitely the goal of these podcasts. My podcast, your podcast is just talking about the things we love, why we love them and forming discussion from there. So I'm excited to have you on the show to talk with you once again about movies, Mikey. Well, like I said, Chad, I'm so happy that you invited me on. I love guesting on other people's podcasts, and I can't say it enough because it means that I get to have all the fun, which is the talking, and none of the work, which is the editing and posting. <laughs> that is the production. truth. That is the truth. <laughs> uh, so before we move on to our film discussion, shout out to two new reviews that we got over the past week, uh, one from 82Dre82, and then one from friend of the show, Gabriel Green, who also hosts his own podcast called Underrated Podcast a show about the films that they think got the short end of the stick when it comes to popular opinion. So definitely check that out when you get the chance. And just a general reminder about rating and reviewing on iTunes, please. I think if we can get like five new reviews in the next week, we have a good chance of maybe making it to the new and noteworthy in the TV film category on iTunes. So, uh, so do it review. Yeah, do it. Definitely do it. Any rating or review you can find the time to give would be so much appreciated and so much help more than you even realize. And Mm -hmm. once again, the iTunes link will be in the show notes. So just go down to there, go to the website to find the show notes if you have to, and it'll take like two minutes of your time. I promise. (laughs) Yeah, I can't undersell. And uh, Chad can't undersell how important iTunes ratings are to podcasters. I feel like it's something that only podcasters really understand because of the weird way that metrics and viewership and stuff goes. But taking the time to send Chad an email saying, Chad, I really love this episode and all these things about it. It was so awesome. Like, I'm sure Chad is super excited to get those emails. But in like one fifth of that time, if you would have just put some of that stuff on iTunes as a review and a five star rating, it probably would have helped out Cinescope more than you can even imagine. Um, Exactly. So just backing that up. Well, thank you for that. Hopefully that sort of drives the point home a little bit more. One last reminder before we move on, I announce the discussion topic on Twitter every week before we record the show. So if you have an opinion on the film we're going to be talking about, you can share them and then hopefully I will read them on the show. So remember that is at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. And with that, I think we're ready to move on. So are you ready to talk about Robin Hood Men in Tights, Mikey? I am always ready to talk about this movie. (laughs) Awesome. So it was released on July 28th of 1993 and was directed by the Mel Brooks, of course, who directed The Producers, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, and Spaceballs, among others. It was written by Brooks and also Evan Chandler and J. David Shapiro. And the music was by a name I hadn't heard before, Hummy Man, who also composed (laughs) the score for Mel Brooks' film Dracula, Dead and Loving It, and he was the orchestrator for Adam's Family Values and Sister Act. And then, of course, this movie does star Carrie Elwes, Richard Lewis, Dave Chappelle, Roger Rees, Eric Allen Kramer, Amy Yazbek, and Patrick Stewart. So what was your first experience with this movie, Mikey? Do you remember? So I do not remember what my very first experience was, but I can give you probably some context for my first 10 viewings, which I'm sure were in pretty quick succession of the first viewing. <laughs> it's great because... We now get to see all these parody movies. Well, hopefully we don't really get to see them. Hopefully people aren't actually watching the parody movies that are coming out. You know, like the the scary movies and the epic movies and things like that. They are – they actually make me a little sad because I know there are movies like this that actually do parody and cultural parody very well. And it's really odd to me to see a movie so well done that strikes on the heels of something so popular. Because I remember watching Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves – uh, with Kevin Costner in and uh, um, uh, in, in 1991, right? Alan Rickman is that the name? Yeah, Al- Alan Rickman, and why can't I think of the dude who plays God all the time? Morgan Freeman. Um, Morgan Freeman. Oh my goodness, <laughs> how embarrassing is that? Um, so you know they're they're in this film, um, and, and you know it's it's very popular. I, I would say by by critical, I would say it's not actually that great of a film, but when I'm young, this Robin Hood film is amazing. And I, I know we're not talking about Prince of Thieves, but I, I say all this to set up the fact that I thought this was the standard for Robin Hood movies. And then just two short years later, Robin Hood Men in Tights comes out. 
And it has a whole bunch of people that for the most part, I don't recognize. Uh, I don't know anything about, but I see how it perfectly parodies, not cheap parody, not like uh, unfunny or, you know, like the phone in joke that we could have all written in our, our room, but some really clever, clever, clever stuff um, that makes fun of Robin Hood, makes fun of uh, kind of the the classic hero play uh, and, and other interpretations that Robin Hood was built on and some of these other like King, kind of King Arthur, uh, English folksy kind of things. And so it, ta- it makes fun of all these different things. And I'm at a time in my life, well, not now, but then in 1993, I'm at a time in my life, which is probably the bane of most adults existence where me and my <laughs> friends are, cause how old am I tonight? I'm, I'm 93. Oh, I'm probably gonna date myself. 81. So I'm like 12 years old. All right. So I'm right there at that preteen getting ready to hit teen. And this is when either there's the, the riding the bus to school age or that you're hanging out with the kids in your neighborhood all the time phase. And every, every, you know, 11 to 14 year old that I've ever met, they always find that thing and they quote it incessantly. And it's the thing that everyone Here's a quote and you just keep quoting and, and like you're cool the more quotes you can do. So we had a couple comedy specials, a couple a couple funny movies, but Robin Hood Men and Tights was the movie when as soon as you got on the bus, you would say something from Robin Hood Men and Tights and everyone would just start quoting Robin Hood Men and Tights for like the next 45 <laughs> minutes all the way to school. And uh, I mean that's the beauty of the film. Like there was not one line of the film that I thought was like transitional or wasted. Everything was a quote. It reminds me a lot of The Princess Bride, which also stars Carrie Ellis. Right. That's actually one of my later points. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like this guy I'd never really seen very much because I hadn't actually seen The Princess Bride at the time. And it was just, it was perfect. It was one of the most hilarious things that I'd ever seen. You know, know, I'm 12. It wasn't for kids necessarily, but it wasn't like this, this pushing the envelope adult humor that I couldn't really get into as a 12 year old. Right. This isn't like a Seth MacFarlane film. Yeah. So, I mean, it hit young Mikey Fissle at the perfect time with the perfect movie for it to be just burned on my conscience forever. So that's kind of, like I said, so I watched it incessantly. I'd watch it probably every day. Heck, I remember, I remember once I was like 17. No, yeah, I was 18 and I came home from college. It was one of those times when uh, it was either HBO or Cinemax or one of those one of those movie channels. You know how they, they rotate the films they have through? Uh-huh. The summer was one of the times they picked up Robin Hood Men in Tights. And so every night I could watch it like on HBO or Showtime, you know, whichever one it was. And I believe I watched it probably four nights a week all summer <laughs> when I was like 18 or something like that. Wow. Um, and it just never got old to me. It was funny every time. So, like I said, so I can't remember the first time, but that's probably the context in in which it made its imprint on me. Well, it's awesome that it did make such an imprint on you. I can't say it made the same imprint on me. Uh, The only (laughs) time I'd seen it once before, I was in high school, I think, maybe 16 or 17. I was at a friend's house hanging out with two of my best friends who are still my best friends. And uh, we were working on homework at the time. So I remember bits and pieces of it from that viewing, but I don't remember a whole lot. In fact, the main takeaway, I think, was the Men in Tights song. And so, so I, I just really remember the, the like the last line of that song, the tight, tight, tights, tights, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, that that was what I remembered watching this. I I didn't remember particularly loving it. I didn't remember disliking it. It was just a movie that we sort of had on in the background while we worked on things that we were supposed to be prioritizing more. So I was excited to get to rewatch it once you said, hey, let's talk about this. And I said, sure, why not? It's a fun movie. I mean, it's not like the most hysterically funny movie I've ever seen, but it clearly hit you at a time when you were at that age where it just really clicked with you. And I have my movies where it does the same with me. But that being said, even though it didn't maybe affect me at the same way at this point in my life, it's a, it's a funny movie and I definitely have lots to talk about. So let's go ahead and start by talking about the story. Uh, are we done talking about the story now? Cause I mean, <laughs> I feel like that's, that's all just mentioning the fact that there is kind of a story is, is really what there is on the, in this one. Right. Well, for me, what I wanted to say was I love how it takes itself seriously, like maybe 25% of the time. And, uh, <laughs> it, it knows exactly the correct moments to take itself seriously. Like mm-hmm. it, it's funny watching the very beginning of this film, because if somebody walked into this movie, 
not knowing what it was, except it was a Robin Hood film, the title music would play and the credits would come up. And it feels like we're about to sit in and watch this awesome Robin Hood movie. And then the the villagers start lamenting the, the destruction of their village. Like, come on, why are you doing this to us again, man? I, w- I wish it was that 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 subtle, but it's not because they're all like, every time they make a Robin Hood movie, they burn down our village. <laughs> breaking the fourth wall. It's so great. Oh, I love when a movie can break the fourth wall very well. And this one definitely does. Overall, I think if you viewed like very select moments in isolation, you could piece together a serious Robin Hood movie because you have the 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 bits of the fight scenes, you have the score which in general takes itself pretty seriously as far as a film score goes. You could you could piecemeal like a 10-minute Robin Hood movie <laughs> together. Minutes. And it would be really good, but it's everything that sort of fits around that. I mean, we know the Robin Hood story. We've all seen the Disney Fox movie. We've all seen Prince of Thieves for the most part. And so mm-hmm. this isn't like a new story. It's everything that Mel Brooks brings around that that makes this movie different and fun. So I think that's what one of the things that I like about this. And, and even though, again, I, I think there's a, a difference between like critical acceptance and pure enjoyment. And I, I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons we're talking about this film on Cinescope because I can totally buy arguments for this not being Mel Brooks's best film. I totally get it. I totally get it. It's going to always be my favorite Mel Brooks film. And if I have friends who have never seen Mel Brooks films, I honestly think this is one of the most accessible because it's not like, well, I think Blazing Saddles is brilliant, but unfortunately I think Blazing Saddles, because of the times we live in and the the cultural hot buttons that we have, its humor doesn't translate quite as seamlessly, even though the beauty of it is the fact that there's nothing really offensive in the film because everyone's being made fun of, but it's, it's harder to get into Blazing Saddles. It's kind of harder to get into Spaceballs if you've not really watch Star Wars, like if you just like comedies and you don't really like sci-fi, Spaceballs loses a lot of its humor. But the like the kind of myth or the legend of Robin Hood is so intrinsic in society. It's a story that people recognize so well. You don't really have to see Prince of Thieves. You don't really have to see, you know, the, the animated uh, Disney Robin Hood. You don't have to go back and see the Errol Flynn Adventures of Robin Hood to understand that this movie is still funny or to understand who Robin Hood is, who the sheriff is, who the prince is, and all that. You can just jump right into the story. And Mel Brooks puts the, you know, the, the framework of the Robin Hood story into Robin Hood Men in Tights. They just have all these, like, really fun little tangents to make really great and uh, kind of timely jokes. And it's interesting that you say that you think the movie does actually take itself seriously 25% of the time because I think that even though this film didn't do it for you, when when we grow up, there, I think, are certain inciting events that basically define how we interact with comedy for the rest of our life. Like, it, it helps us shape what our comedic style is going to be. It uh, makes us understand how we're going to understand the comedy of others. And Robin Hood Men in Tights kind of defines one of my comedy styles. And when Robin Hood Men in Tights is serious, it's only being serious so that it can point out how absurd that it is that it's serious. Exactly. Which is that, that opening sequence. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I've just walked into this this Robin Hood movie and I, I thought this was a Mel Brooks film. Why are things on fire? Why are people running and screaming? This isn't a Mel Brooks film at all, but I'm, I'm really, what, what's going on? I'm, uh, I'm very confused. And then someone comes up and is like, you know, every time they make a Robin Hood movie, they burn down our village. Leave us alone, Mel Brooks. Uh, you know, like the, all they did was use the the seriousness of the situation to set up an incredibly funny joke. Right. Same thing with the fight scenes. The, the fight scenes get very tense there for a second. You're like, you know, draw your sword. And, and then they start fighting. But then it turns into just a, a wacky thing to point out how, uh, especially like the Errol Flynn thing, like the very over the top heroic kind of man of yesteryear fight scenes were all very not not very intimidating not really that threatening because you have Kyrios just being like parry parry thrust thrust good you know like it's it's just showing how like uh, formulaic all the fight scenes and those those classic tales are you know swashbuckling and such so it takes these these very serious pieces and turns them into ridiculousness when oh gosh when they have the scene I think one of people's favorite scenes, not that the whole movie is just not one long favorite scene, but when they're, when the sheriff and, and Robin Hood are, are squaring off at that feast 
and they're kind of pushing in on one another. And then finally the sheriff is like, all right, Loxley, you know, and then he gets like, just you, me, and my guards. And he like spins around <laughs> very flamboyantly and runs away. Oh, like that, that, that's hilarious because you were like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? Like, are they actually going to, nope, they were just serious long enough to make it hilarious. Um, and, that, and that's kind of, like I said, that's how I feel about the story. I don't think the story did anything flashy. I don't think the story did anything out of the ordinary and, uh, you know, kind of why I joked, okay, well, it was a Robin Hood story. That's that's really all. We're just working with a framework here. And now I've talked for a really long time. And thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> oh, no problem. I'm enjoying listening to you talk about this. The only other thing I wanted to say about the story was it sort of what you already mentioned a little bit earlier was that it feels sort of like a companion to princess bride. It almost feels like a mid like before <laughs> a- after he leaves the farm, before he becomes a dread pirate Roberts, this is Wesley sort of on vacation <laughs> and it feels sort of like the same character in many ways. And I, I love that. I found many comparisons to princess bride. Um, the sheriff is very much like Count Rugen. Mm-hmm. And then you have the prince who's very much like Humperdinck, except they're just like ridiculous, wacky versions of those characters. And it's, it's funny because those characters in Princess Bride are wacky characters to begin with. Um, oh, yeah. So spinning off from that and then all the, the plays on Prince of Thieves, which is a movie that takes itself way more seriously. Way for- <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's funny to depart from that and almost consider this a companion piece to, to both of those movies so that you can enjoy those and poking fun at those, but still enjoy this as its own separate thing. Oh man, and see, that's the thing that I I love the fact that it knows it's not trying to be serious. Which is, I'm pretty sure it's in the original trailer when uh, the line that you would hear most people people start with directly poking fun at the over seriousness of Prince of These when Carrie always just kind of gets that sly sly grin and starts to turn his head and says, "Unlike some other Robin Hoods." I can speak with an English accent. And everyone's like, <gasps> like obviously he means business. Oh, it's so great. Um, just like I said, it's just perfect. It knows exactly what it's making fun of and how to do it. Yeah. And that castle fight scene at the dinner feast is definitely, I think my favorite scene of the movie. There's just so much wacky stuff going on. You've got Blinken like going ham attacking this post with a sword <laughs> because he doesn't, th- he doesn't know it's a post. And that, that was one of the gags uh, that, Blinken and a lot of his gags uh, made me laugh the most in the movie. And then there was the whole, aha, this is the right rope. <laughs> After he, <laughs> he cut the wrong rope earlier in the, in the scene. <laughs> that one made me laugh a lot. And then uh, the Broomhilda stealing the kiss at the end of that scene as Wes, or uh, sorry, there I go. Robin Hood uh, <laughs> blows a kiss to Marion and she's like snatches it. And there's this audio sound effect that I thought that was really funny too. She's like, no, no, no. <laughs> before you do it you must go through it or else I blew it uh, so let's go ahead and talk about individual characters now I guess so what do you like about Robin here so and I feel like I've danced all around this or maybe I've blatantly said it in one of my, my long binge talks but Carrie Ellis in this role I just he's so perfect because he he both embodies like a strong, likable uh, rogue. You know, like there's something about him that's okay that he's not perfectly good, but he's well-intentioned and he has that almost debonair feel like people used to, before Prince of Thieves came out, people would always point back to like, like I said, like the adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn, you know, had this very classic feel to it. You know, like a larger than life, very full of machismo, like ha ha kind of, kind of guy. And Carrie Hose can do that without being over the top. Uh And, And just these subtle movements, these subtle, subtle little pieces where he, he almost makes fun of, the nuances of, of older interpretations of Robin Hood. Like there's this great scene that uh, I almost, I didn't catch for the first many, many viewings where like all through the film, he keeps like, he keeps like rubbing his goatee. And then in one scene, he rubs his goatee and then kind of like looks down and like, looks like he's pulled something out of his goatee and kind of like ashes it to the side and then just keeps going. That's so random. Just trying to, to even take this basic, hand motion that you've probably taken from many other Robin Hoods and 
just made it your own. So he's not just making he's not just making fun, but he's also paying homage. He's also showing how ridiculous some interpretations of Robin Hood is. He's also making it his own. Like there's so much going on in his character for a comedy, which is one of the reasons I, I wanted to do this movie in the first place. Cause I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure you haven't done a comedy. And I feel like not lots of people when you pick their, like the movie they love are going to pick a comedy. Right. But, uh, uh, Carrie always just between this and the princess bride, how can he not be, how can he not be in more things? I don't understand. I don't get that either. Cause I think those are probably the only two movies I've seen him in, except for maybe, I think he was in Ella enchanted. He was the villain in that movie. Um, but that's not like the same level of entertainment. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. Uh, those other films, of course. So along the same line of what you were just saying, I love that he brings the same sort of like huge self-confidence that the Errol Flynn Robin hood always carried. And this, this ability to just do these ridiculous things and pull it off every time. But, he believes that he can do these ridiculous things and pull it off every time, but he doesn't. And so for example, there's that scene in that scene I mentioned earlier where he cuts the rope and of course the wrong chandelier falls on him instead of on the bad guys he's trying to ensnare. And so there, there are many moments in this movie where he thinks of himself as infallible, but he is fallible. And that plays up the comedy aspect of that character. It's because he knows the story because there's the archery contest. And he goes, <laughs> I lost, I lost, I lost. Wait a minute. I'm not supposed to lose. <laughs> and then they all like get out their scripts. And it's like, Robin gets another shot. He gets another shot. He gets another My shot. My favorite breaking the fourth wall scene was everybody pulling out their scripts. Pulling out their scripts. Um, <laughs> I get another shot. So, yeah. So he just, his delivery is so great. His, his comedic timing. I just don't think enough can be said about it because it's like I said, it's also great in the princess bride, which is, you know, he's funny in the princess bride, but it's much more subtle. Right. You know, so it would be like, imagine if you cast Jim Carrey, whatever you think about Jim Carrey in, in the princess bride role and in the Robin men and tights role, you would probably get a very similar character in both, Uh even though they're very different types of comedy. Uh Uh-huh. One's way more subdued and kind of clever, and the other one is very in-your-face, bravado, very confident, like you said, Chad, and and still whimsical. So there's, there's actually very different comedic styles, but he does both of them very well. Whereas, like I said, if you pick just a, a pure comedian, the, Jim Carrey would have been Jim Carrey in The Princess Bride, and it might have been great, but he would have been the same character in all likelihood, right? especially in his earlier days. And I, I just think that I don't understand how he's not in more things. Me neither. And I, I love here how he alternates between being like the most serious and the least serious character on screen. <laughs> uh, there's that scene where he, he's preparing everybody to sort of rally up and join his merry men. And he says, lend me your ears. And all of a sudden they, they throw their ears at him. He says, that's disgusting. <laughs> and that one made me laugh a lot, too. Oh, that. Yeah, that whole. Oh, that's so great, too. It's just uh, all these little tangents. I mean, we didn't talk about this in the story, but one of my favorite things is I think most of the funny stuff I found in this are the the places they found to have tangents that didn't actually push the the framework forward, but it was just a great scene. That that hole where he gets like, oh, we shall not flag or fail. We shall defend our isle. Whatever a caution. <laughs> you know, doing his, his Winston Churchill, you know, for British people and all of them falling asleep. Then Chappelle gets up there. I chew. What a great name. Uh, what a great running joke. <laughs> and, you know, puts his Malcolm X glasses on. Look at yourselves. Go ahead. Take a look around. Your man is Sherwood. <laughs> your pin hat. Your hoodwink. Your bamboozle. Run amok. We ain't land on Sherwood Force. Sherwood Force landed on us. Yay! You know? <laughs> the, uh, oh, but then, then the small exchange they have. <laughs> He's like, all right, got them all warmed up for you, Robin. And then they do like a, like a cool handshake. Like that they already know, even though they didn't really know each other. <laughs> and, you know, Kira was just slides right in there. Brother Achu is right. <laughs> oh, the, the chemistry between those guys are, is great. So anything else you'd like me to quote from this movie? I will just let you continue on. What other characters would you like to talk about? Um, well, actually, I would like to hear some more of your favorite parts of Blinken, because I think Blinken is one of my favorite characters. I think his tangential scenes in this film are I mean like they are tear inducing <laughs> when he has the scene where he falls off the treehouse and he starts brushing himself off and, and you can see this very good comedy too because you you can see that he's starting to see things and he's not realizing it and he goes oh, I can see 
and then he turns and hits that tree. <laughs> and you're like, nope, oh, I was wrong. And then starts kind of like feeling his way through the forest again. Oh, it's so good. Right. That's actually the one I had written down. But you could even go back to the very first time we see him where uh, they're carting away Loxley Castle and he's just <laughs> sitting there on the toilet and he, ha- he has that Playboy magazine and it's like a uh, braille. Uh, 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 yeah, it's in Braille. <laughs> so there's the outline of the woman and he's feeling it. Uh, it's just a funny visual gag like that. Oh. Like, of, of course, he's blind. And so he's going to find ways to work around that. Like, I, it might not be as ad-libbed as I thought or as I think, but it certainly seems like some of the best lines are just these ad-lib little lines. So, like, Roman's like, blinking. And he's like, Master Robin, is that you? And he comes out of the, he comes out of the toilet, and he you know he reaches for the door but misses it, and then runs into like that little statue of David or no no what is that the uh, Venus de Milo the, 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 yeah Venus de Milo, and he goes oh, I could have sworn there was a door there, you know just very very <laughs> subtle like it wasn't meant to be like the zing or anything like that just very whatever and because it, it goes right into like another outrageous scene, so it's like these this very this very great rhythm of the comedy of this film because it's it's loud. Oh, you're back. Oh, you're back. And then, it, oh, this very this very low kind of, oh, I thought there was a door there. And then it goes into like, a, oh, you've lost your arms in battle. But <laughs> you grew some nice boobs. You know, like, just a, there's this very great rhythm to the comedy that, that never, never gets me bored because it's not just like 100%, 100%, 100%. And it's not, it's not low for too long. It just kind of, it's set up. And hit it, set up, hit it, set, and it I, I just keeps me engaged the entire time. And Blinken, I think, is a is a is a great character to walk around the rest of the characters, pointing out how ridiculous things are. Yeah, and he has a sort of running gag throughout the film where he has to sort of grab onto somebody as they're moving on to the next mm-hmm. scene. Uh, so <laughs> there's that one scene where they start running off, and he's reaching out, and he reaches for one person, he misses, and he reaches for the and finally he catches onto Achu. Yeah. And yeah, that was really funny because he has to keep up and. That's how he does well, it. I think, I think when Will, when they're in costume and Will turns to him, he's like, blink and fix your boobs. You look like a bloody Picasso. Because <laughs> his boobs are all like sideways. It's so subtle. I feel like there's no characters in this film that didn't have a lot of thought put into them. Because almost all of them have something that's initially funny about their character. And then it pays off down the road. Because Blinken's whole thing is like we're so used to him being around that we've almost forgotten as an audience that he's blind. So we get the, the every scene, there's a funny blinking joke, but at the end of the film, when everyone has that call back to blazing saddles and they're like a black sheriff and blinking goes, he's black. <laughs> Cause he never knew that he was black. Like you, how much you had to set up to make that joke just shows. It doesn't feel like, this movie was just slapped together. It feels like there was some, some love put into it. Yeah. I think Mel Brooks is definitely one to really sort of carefully consider his comedy and make sure that everything's worth it when you put it in rather than sort of letting everybody improv everything and just slapping together best takes, which I I think that can work in some films, but in this one, particularly you're right. There is so much care put into everything. There is so much thought put into every character and their actions and it makes it all the funnier as a result. I I think that, what I was saying earlier about Blazing Saddles being a little like probably pushing a too many cultural hot button things right now, as far as uh, it's edgy, I want to say it's edginess, but it's, it's free floating hostility or it's, it's, it's pointing out things that people are probably a little too uptight about that can still be a little, little too much for Blazing Saddles. But I think Robin Hood Men and Tights does that with that Mel Brooks style, just a very light version. So we get people like Achu, who's like the, you know, obviously much like Blazing Saddles, like the only black person in the movie kind of who we get to follow around and gets to have a very accentuated character that would definitely include lots of kind of, black stereotypes to some degree, Uh but never making fun of him because he's black, but pointing out how people actually almost how lame white people are when trying to interact with a black person who's very comfortable with who he is. There's a little bit of a cultural relevance there that I see in all the characters. I don't know what it is about Mel Brooks. Like this is one of those things where I feel like someone should be writing like a master's paper on Mel Brooks <laughs> cultural critiques because I think people go to Mel Brooks films and they laugh at these characters, but they don't really think about how kind of, how kind of brilliant some of these, 
these observations about different cultures, different religions, different traditions or practices, or even different things we expect to see in films that Mel Brooks notices and then is able to play off of. So there's a character that I don't want us to forget because we just I just referenced this the other day before we even started talking about this. And that is, I guess, one of the edgiest, maybe, um, for a film that I think it's films like rated PG-13. One of the edgiest lines in the entire movie when I was younger came from the interaction that we get from the sheriff and his crazy old witch that lives in the tower, Latrine. <laughs> so Tracy Ullman's cake had all this makeup on. There's almost no reason that she's in this movie to this point, but he goes up and sees her and there's the, almost this fourth wall break. That's not exactly a fourth wall break where the sheriff asks Latrine this, you know, Tracy Ullman just doing this incredible eccentric witch in the tower thing. Like Latrine, such an interesting name, Latrine. How did your family come by it? And she's like, Oh, we changed it in the ninth century. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you changed it to latrine yeah it used to be you know she says it obviously used to be something much worse and he goes <laughs> oh she's not talking to the sheriff i mean the prince john oh, i'm so sorry talking to prince john i was picturing john and i kept saying sheriff um and you know he goes good change <laughs> good change there's almost no reason for this and the whole reason i bring up is there's there's almost no reason for this Though it does pay off at the very end when she gets to drag off the sheriff. But it's these little tangents that I love so much about this film. Because they're infinitely quotable. Like I said, even though it's not necessary for the story to progress, it makes the story that much better. Which is really interesting because usually I would put that as an X against most films, you know? Not necessary. Wasted our time. It's like watching a lot of movies that come out from like Saturday Night Live. Uh You can tell there are a whole bunch of sketches. And they tried to weave a narrative through it. Actually, what did I see recently? I saw the latest Key and Pill movie. And you could tell it was like three really funny sketches and a whole bunch of moderately to not really funny sketches to kind of make it to those big three hilarious scenes. And it's kind of a downer because you don't really know how to make every part of your movie count, um, even if it's tangential. And this one, actually almost all Mel Brooks movies, I mean, who am I kidding? Almost all Mel Brooks movies, if not every Mel Brooks movie, knows how to use every single minute of the screen to make you laugh or to set up more jokes. And that to me is amazing. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, the story really isn't the focus here. It's the characters and all their running gags and their jokes. And Mm -hmm. that's why we've been talking about characters for so long, because they are the best part of this movie. So that being said, the sheriff is somebody I had to mention because one of his like earliest scenes where he has to tell the bad news in a good way because the prince isn't in a good mood. (laughs) That's one of the funniest scenes in the movie too, where he's like dying laughing, giving this awful news about how Robin Hood's back in town and he wants to see the prince hanged for his crimes against the people. And it's, he's like, he ends it with, I, I didn't want to know any of that. And he said, but you, but you, but you said you wanted to hear this in a good way. And it, it, it's just a funny scene. Oh yeah. What is it? He is, he's, what are you doing? He's like, I thought you said the good news, uh, bad news. <laughs> That's horrible news. <laughs> oh, he, he says, I was trying to soften the blow and he's like, well, you blew it. <laughs> and then of course the, the thing you quoted when you first came on was his sort of decrying at Robin when he tosses the boar onto the table. <laughs> he he muddles his words and he says, King illegal forest two pig wild killing it uh, is <laughs> I actually wrote that down, so I got that. Because that, that was really funny too. And of course he it's like strike that reverse it kind of thing from yeah. Willy Wonka, where he pauses a minute. I meant, and then he says the proper order of the words. Yeah, and it's it's just a cool running gag, you know, when he's like, oh, because he says it with such sincerity, like he doesn't even realize he's doing it, you know, it's because it's not just about mixing the words, it's about the 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 intensity and the, the conviction with which he, he messes it up, which is, goes back to that seriousness thing, you know, when he's like, over that boy hand, <laughs> <sighs> hand over that boy, you know, it's so frustrated with himself uh, oh it's such a like who thinks of that who says this is going to be an amazing thing that this character is going to do when he gets flustered oh it just makes me smile it just adds to his rage and it adds to the rage he has for rob and then all of a sudden he's mad at himself too mm-hmm. because he's screwing around his words and uh it, it adds another level to that that character as far as the anger goes and that just makes it funnier because he's more angry and he he does the angry so well oh that reminds me i i have I have legitimately tried to give my wife 
the bad news in a good way, exactly like that before. <laughs> um, hoping that she would see what I was doing as like meta hilarious. And so that would actually soften the blow. But, you know, uh-huh. I was like, huh, you know how we had tickets to that thing? <laughs> well, they came in and said, we don't have them anymore. We can't go. <laughs> you know, and she's like, oh, I see what you're doing. That still stinks. <laughs> so. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention Dom DeLuise and Patrick Stewart in their roles. Dom DeLuise has this hilarious Godfather impersonation. Oh, I just left the dentist office and I left the cotton balls in my mouth. And <laughs> I love Dom DeLuise in everything I've seen him in and all of his voice roles. He just has this classic comedy about him. And uh, oh, yeah, that's a really funny scene. All the years, we, all the years we've been friends, England and Jay-Z. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. The I went and you you kind of you kind of stole my final point. I mean, not not, not obviously intentionally. I, you're too nice of a person to do that, Chad. Everyone thinks you're probably a saint for letting me talk this much in the first place. But how can you not want to see a movie that is <laughs> this has an exclamation point of Patrick Stewart? Like, I almost don't want to tell people that Patrick Stewart's in this movie because when he shows up, it is so mind-blowingly awesome when and how he <laughs> shows up that I you know, almost jump out of my skin because it's so perfect. It's just so great to see a quote-unquote serious actor mm-hmm. show up in a hilarious movie like this. And his role is so funny. He oh. says, I object to the marriage because he wants to sort of bless it himself with a kiss. And you think, oh, he's just going like, to kiss her on the cheek or give her a quick little yeah. peck. And he like hardcore makes out with her. And okay, now you can marry her. It's even better because uh, that whole thing is basically a throwback to you know more Mel Brooks. Much like right there at the end, they had the, the reference to Blazing Saddles. You know, Mel Brooks gets to lean in and be like, it's good to be the king, you know, referencing another one of his movies. It's just oh, so, so great. And then Mel Brooks, his funniest scene for me in his minor role was the wine, where he says, well, we only use it to, to bless things. And then everybody's disappointed. <laughs> well, there, there, there's trees and there's rocks and there's all this stuff around us. We'll just bless everything. <laughs> and so they, We'll bless them all until we get for schnicken. <laughs> oh, when he does like the Moyle thing. He's like, I'm a Moyle. Oh, Moyle is a very important person. The Moyle is the one who does circumcisions. What's pray tell us a circumcision? Yeah. Yeah, Rabbi, I'm game. He goes, oh, it's so easy. I take your little thing, I put it in my little thing, and snip the tip. Who's feist? (laughs) And Blinken raises his hand. Question. I still do the question thing. Like, it's really interesting to see when I interact with people, and there's still pieces of this movie that I quote. Because there's a couple lines that they're just situationally good. So, like, when someone does something ridiculous... And uh, I just don't know how to react. I'll just throw my hand up and say, question, in the way that says, I obviously don't have a question because this is ridiculous. Or even better, something that I use a lot, probably much, again, to my, my wife's chagrin, is when I succeed at something, I do the Will Scarlet thing, and I go, am I good? I'm good. And, uh, <laughs> right before you know, he cuts his belt off and his pants fall down. Because I feel like that's usually describing anything that I do well. Um, about the time I start bragging about it. Were there any other characters you wanted to touch on before you sort of push this along? Well, I won't go into tons of it, but I, I do want to mention little John. Oh yes. He's great too. Because the, his little rhyme at the beginning is great. When they first meet the, the, the entire fight between him and Robin hood at the very beginning, making fun of the, of the, the fight between, you know, John little and, and Robin hood and Robin hood, Prince of thieves. And how they get down to like just they keep breaking their sticks yeah. or even how they show how ridiculous the entire concept of it is when um, a chew comes in there and goes, Robin, this is not that big of a deal. I'm on the East Bank. I'm on the West Bank. This isn't exactly the Mississippi, you know, like anyway, <laughs> it's not the point. It's the principle of the thing. And then <laughs> and then little John's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. It just so that character is played like this big oafish character is just played perfect. Which is really weird. Like I said, that this movie that I don't recognize almost any of these people. And since I have not seen many of these people in any other movies, you know? But they were so great in this film. It, it's almost baffling to me that I haven't seen them. Or at least I don't recognize them in something else. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe I just they were playing a different character or something. We've already talked that most of them had chops to to do different types of comedy. So maybe we just didn't recognize them. Yeah, maybe so. But 
characters. I if you don't like the characters in this movie, I, I just I'm very confused because they are all hilarious. They're all they all have their moment to shine. Like so, so many great moments. Yeah, and they're definitely the obvious highlights of the film. I do want to briefly talk about the music just because that's what we do. Briefly? What? I have so many music notes. Oh, then we can talk about it as long as you want. I just wanted to say, again, it could pass as a serious Robin Hood score for a lot of it. And I, I just really like the main titles. It's, it's just a, a good rousing sort of swashbuckling throwback mm-hmm. to Errol Flynn and all that kind of good stuff. It's it's a fun, fun theme and the music's good everywhere. So... As someone who I know really enjoys the musical piece of it, I was hoping that you would jump on a lot of the stuff in this film because I said, oh man, the piece that's weakest for me when I look at movies is the music. I typically rarely notice the music. I rarely notice the score. I think I mentioned on on Movie Bite one time that some of the best scores to me are the ones that don't make me think that the music's playing, Uh which I don't think is necessarily a, a bad way to put it, but it also means that I typically don't pay enough of attention. But in this film, I love the fact that almost all the music is part of the joke Uh because it's usually taking something simple and making it overly complicated from right towards the very beginning when you have Robin on his journey back to England and it shows the map. And it's playing like the the orchestra version of Row, Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> yeah. You know, da, 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 you know, like very like epic, you know, like it's it's way more important um, and self-aggrandizing than it actually should be. I think that's hilarious. Uh, I love the fact that you have Maid Marian singing uh, her song in the bath, like the 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 damsel with the beautiful voice singing about something that's actually kind of hilarious in a very love struck way. So it kind of puts, puts lots of these love songs that you would see in classic movies kind of puts a little more on the nose. Uh So you, you have that, you have one of the things that everyone sings when they leave the movie, the men in tight song, of course, uh, with dance numbers that crosses a couple of genres there. And what I love about that song is it just comes out of sort of nowhere. They, they, exactly. They're all using the, the restrooms, the, the port of privies and they all walk out and they're complaining about their tights, but Oh, but the tights make us more manly. Yeah. And you got to be a man to wear tights. Yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden they break out into this dance number. The way they basically have the narrator rapping the intro and the outro. Now this is a story, you know, <laughs> like a very, just very, very cool. I mean, like, uh, it, it becomes funny. It becomes part of the story. It becomes more than just a guy going once upon a time there was, you know, it, it basically almost makes fun of the, it doesn't make fun as much as it, it is kind of like an homage to like uh, great plays of the past where someone will come out and sing this amazing, like prologue or epilogue to something except they're doing it in like a more contemporary 1993 kind of way, you know, with like a kind of fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of feel. Right. It's like their, their own version of a Greek chorus. Like you'd see in the Hercules movie or little shop of horrors. Yeah. Who thinks of that? Like that's the thing. Like who, who would have said, this is a great, you know what we need? We need like a, this kind of intro and this kind of outro with a character that's not even in the movie. He's, he's purely there as like a, a prologue epilogue narrator. Right. And I would be remiss if uh, I think I've said remiss like a hundred times. I would be remiss if I mentioned remiss one more time, <laughs> this beautiful, again, throwback to kind of making fun, kind of doing a, a, an homage to the older style of either plays or musicals, or just these classic interpretations of stories like this, where they have the the night is young and you're so beautiful. B flat. And then you think it's just gonna be this this kind of very endearing song, but it's just how ridiculous like it is that he's singing this thing out in the middle of the other merry men. And he, he obviously has like a big fake booming voice, you know. The night is young and you're so beautiful. You know, like no one sings like that. You know, it's just great. That was another one of my favorite jokes in the film was uh, when all of a sudden he turns the camera in B flat. <laughs> B flat. Yeah. Like, and then he's got, like I said, it's just ridiculous. He hits the note like so strong, you know, her hair starts blowing back at one point and her eyes start rolling back in her head. 
And it even ends like it crescendos with like a, a almost like a meta joke because it has him crescendoing the song when he's hitting a scabbard and it, you know it's kind of elevating as if he is highly aroused while these people are eating popcorn and watching this this old movie. So just just the the layers of joke there that are going on about people coming and watching what is a screen with figures on it acting out something in a style that is hearkening back to a very similar time. It just, oh gosh, it's so, I feel like it's so brilliant. Like it's, it's undeserving that I get to watch something so brilliant. And then just think of it, come away and thinking that it's just slapstick almost. Thank you, Mel Brooks. Thank you, Mel Brooks. So that's what I think about the music. I think the music in this is not the kind of score that you go, I want to listen to that score. But I think it's one thing to write a joke. It's one thing to make that joke funny on multiple levels. It's another to make everything in your movie funny. And by that, I mean everything. The title sequence, the characters, the situations, and even the music. So the music in this film adds to the hilariousness. It's not just music playing in the background. It's part of the joke. Right. And I think that's brilliant because I think that's what we would expect from a movie like a good drama. You know, Star Wars is as much the theme song as it is the stuff that's happening on screen. Right? Of course. Uh-huh. So the the Empire is as much the Imperial March as it is the the stormtroopers outfits or Darth Vader's breathing. Like the Empire is the Imperial March. Like Robin Hamenentites um, and I'm sure someone like TJ will probably kill me for saying this, but like the music in this is the joke. Like it's as much part and intricately wo- woven into this story. The men in tight song, the, you know, the night is young song, all these songs, the, the over serious sword fighting songs, they're all meant to make things funnier. And without them, they're not just back or they're not just background music without them. It's not as hilarious. So that's how I feel about the music. Awesome. <laughs> Let's talk about relevance. I mean, this is a comedy, which generally you would think, ah, oh, there's not anything deep to walk away with from here. And maybe there's not. But the things that I wanted to talk about walking away from this movie with it, along with other well-made parodies, it, it just sort of gives us a chance to not take entertainment so seriously for a little bit. Mm-hmm. This is the antithesis of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It, it doesn't want <laughs> us to walk in and have a miserable time because the characters are having a miserable time. It wants us to go in and have a laugh because the characters are having a blast. Sometimes you need a movie like this that that does that and does it really, really well. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a good tale. I mean, it, it's it's got the heroism. It's got the brotherhood and the bravery that you always get from Robin Hood stories. It does that without the misery and without the self-seriousness that a lot of the other adaptations would have. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of movie, and lots of times comedies get to do this for us. If we were talking about a movie like this on real-world theology, in all likelihood, we would... Because as we've already pointed out, Chad, like the story is so basic, you know, sure, we can talk about how it has a hero and he's technically, uh, even though he's not really doing it in this one, he's kind of, you know, robbing from the rich and or kind of sticking it to the man, kind of helping people out. But we don't really see that as a, as a strong narrative in this. And it's not really meant to be. But what it does give us a chance to do is talk about something outside the story. And what I mean by that is we can talk about the nature of comedy and what makes people laugh. And the thing I, well, the, the thing, one of the many things I love about this film is that even though I'm not walking away from Robin Hood Men in Tights going, man, that really, that really made me recontemplate my existence or, <laughs> you know, who I am and, and reference to the universe, you know, obviously it's, it, we're not, you know, it's not that kind of film. That's okay. One, it does exactly what you said. It's just sometimes it's okay just to laugh. So, like humor is a wonderful thing. Humor is a beautiful thing. And when we laugh with other people, it's also beautiful. So it doesn't necessarily matter what we're laughing at in this film. It's the fact that like I could get on a bus or I could hang out with the kids in my neighborhood and we could share this thing that was hilarious and I could connect with other people. And I think that's what comedy lets us do. Specifically with Robin Hood Men in Tights, one of the things that I love is I think it starts a conversation about the very nature of the comedy that we partake in. And I don't want to sound like a fuddy-duddy 
or, you know, some kind of miser because I definitely have room in my comedy section for all types of humor. But I think this is one of the few movies that doesn't rely too heavily on era sensitive comedy. I mean, besides the when Achu bends over to pump up his, you know, his sneakers yeah. or uh, Robin whips out like a Patriot arrow. There's very few jokes in this that are, like I said, era sensitive. You can listen to most of these jokes have not been alive in 1993 and still see why most of them are hilarious. And I think it's great when you can make a comedy that's transcendent like that. The jokes are timeless. Like I said, this, this happens again with most of Mel Brooks's humor, which is why I think it's, it's so great. You're not, you're not kind of beholden to the time the movie was made in. And lots of the movies that we make now are very, they're making fun of a very specific thing culturally. So once we move on from that cultural thing, it's not that funny anymore. I would say that this movie also does something. It, it's, it's one of my one of my favorite comedies, and yet it's not very edgy. You know, probably the funniest movie I saw this year was Pop Star. Never stop, never stopping. I'm a big I'm a big Andy Samberg fan. I, I just find the stuff he does so so funny. But in Pop Star, there's a scene where they actually they keep having these sexual references and say, like, oh, okay, you're pushing the envelope, you're pushing the envelope. But then in one scene, there's actually like a penis on the screen to make a joke. And I'm like, you didn't need to do that. So the comedy becomes shock comedy. It gets an R rating and it just it pushes it too far. And so the humor is the shock, which means that the next time I watch it, it's not going to be as funny because I know what's happening. Right. Whereas the edginess in something like Robin Hood Men in Tights, the edgy as it gets is uh, Marion standing up in her, uh, her iron chastity belt. Uh, we see a silhouette of Robin's scabbard pretending to be like an erect penis that we have, you know, Blinken doing the Braille playboy. Things that are like pushing the bounds of decency right to the edge where it becomes funnier because you, t- you in your mind, you take it to the next section or you take it to the next level, but you don't actually see them take it to the next level. And that's clever. I just feel like it has a little bit of everything without doing anything too in, in excess, without giving into the easy joke. I mean, it's got suggestive humor. It's got off-color humor. But it's never degrading or grotesque. They use puns. There's characters from other films. They make fun of the popular films. They make fun of older classic films like we've talked about. They have great one-liners. There's buddy comedy humor between Achu and Robin, between Little John and Robin. And then they break the fourth wall. You know, break the fourth wall way before uh, Deadpool started doing it. So all these different types of comedy come in and make this really beautiful, funny movie that doesn't have to be something that you can't watch with your family and still manages to be hilarious among like one of the best, most humorous comedies I've ever seen without limiting its audience. And I think that's, I think that's a very hard thing to do. Um, and I think it's something we don't see a whole lot of anymore, which is kind of sad. Yeah. You definitely make a point that makes me avoid comedies. A lot of the time mm-hmm. is that a lot of it is built on shock value and on too far grotesque or crude humor. Yeah. And I, I love that they don't take that too far here. I definitely wish there were more movies that had similar comedy to this that really don't push the envelope too far, but push it enough to make it funny. Yeah. It's, it's one of the hardest things for, for me to kind of wrestle with because I wonder, like I said, and this is the conversation that I think it starts. Like, can we make a movie like this today that doesn't have shock comedy in it? that would be successful. You know, I have with one of my friends written a comedy script and it's hard because I don't want to have a lots of shock comedy to it. I want lots of clever, lots of meta humor, lots of like pseudo fourth wall breaking, lots of callbacks, but I don't want it to be shock comedy. And I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, would people think this is funny or at least as funny as I do without, you know, having topless women run through this one scene because it's so ridiculous. Like, is that even something I can do anymore? Or is that something that people can make? Or like, if someone even thinks the script's funny, would a producer take it and be like, yeah, but we need to add some TNA to this. Or, you know, we need to add some shock to this. We need somebody on the toilet farting a lot. You know, like, I mean, I don't, I don't hate like Seth Rogen and James Franco and, and, the, and those guys who are making a lot of the comedies we see now. I don't care for some of their stuff, but I think some of their stuff's funny. But is there room for something else? I mean, I, th- I think it's why I gravitated towards 22 Jump Street a lot. I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller make really funny movies that are intellectually hilarious and 
sight and sound hilarious. And I'm hoping that we can get more clever films like that when it comes to to humor. But even in their case, there's still some some of that stuff that I would I could do without. Yeah, I would say the closest we get at this point, the Muppets movies have the same sort of self-referential callbacks, clever humor without the over the top Mm -hmm. raunchiness, of course, because it is the Muppets and another Phil Lord and Chris Miller movie, uh, the Lego movie has that same comedy to it. And so I think right now the kids movies have a lot better comedy in that sense than a lot of the adult movies do because Mm -hmm. they're, they're smarter about it rather than shocking about it, I suppose. Well, I'd say the the closest thing that I've seen in a long time to a great comedy that, I mean, if I'm missing it or if I'm, if I'm forgetting some piece of this movie, then I apologize and someone can correct me in the, the comments or, you know, on Twitter. But Dodgeball, I think, is one of the most perfect comedies I've ever seen. And it's fairly recent. Well, fairly recent. It's not that recent. It's it's newer than Robin Hood Men in Tights, and it, I don't think it has anything in it that I couldn't sit down with my, you know, I don't have one, but like a 10 or 12 year old son and watch it and not feel pretty good that they're watching it with me. But like, you know, it would be hard to watch almost any, any of these other films. Right. Because at some point I had to be like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't want you watching that right yet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, I think you, yeah, I think this, especially the second Muppet movie or the second new Muppet movie, Muppets. Muppets Most Wanted. Muppets Most Wanted, yes. Um, I think that's that's a great example, too. And it's cool that you've brought some sort of real-world theology to Cinescope. That was a, <laughs> a, a great enjoyment session for me, just listening to you talk through all of that. That was great. Do you have any other like final thoughts on this movie before we sort of close up? Well, nothing that I really haven't mentioned before, but I will say these things to kind of drive home the point really quickly because I think I've already made us go way over time. And that's that if you've never really seen a Mel Brooks film, then I really do think this is a great starting point because cinematically it's, it's not the best. It's not his uh, most clever script, but it's funny. The jokes are, you can pick up on them. It's not too culturally infringing like a blazing saddles. It's, it's a, it's a little more peppy than a young Frankenstein. It's not as niche as a space balls and it's not quite as out there as like the history of the world part one. So give it a shot. And I think if you like it at all, I would start watching more Mel Brooks films because Mel Brooks during this time period is just, he's making great movies and it shaped how I see comedy and it shaped how I do comedy. It shapes how I interact with people and the jokes that I make and how I try to be clever. And the exclamation point, the, the cherry on the top of the Sunday is if for no other reason, Patrick friggin Stewart is in this movie as an amazingly (laughs) perfect cameo see this movie. It's great. Yeah. My final thoughts have changed listening to you because right now I'm going to edit this episode tomorrow. And then I want to, while I'm listening to everything you're saying, go back and watch the movie again, because I I, I want to enjoy this on that next level because I enjoyed the movie. It's a great movie. There's, there's good laughs. There's fun swashbuckling kind of stuff. It's just, it's, it's a fun Robin Hood movie and it makes fun of other fun Robin Hood movies. And that, that's, it's awesome <laughs> that it can do that. But at the same time, I want to enjoy it also as much as you clearly enjoy it. And you just got to ride the bus with me, Chad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and you've brought some new perspectives to it for me. So I, I'm looking forward to rewatching soon so I can experience it from your point of view a little bit. Well, I hope I have brought some kind of pseudo realistic expectation for people. Like I said, I completely understand that there are movies that hit us at just a certain time in life and we're impressionable or we're forming certain things. And when it comes to comedy, this film hit me right at the right time. So I hope that people can appreciate it a smidgen as much as I do, because I think it's, it's, it's really good. I love that you brought up this, like, it's almost maybe what happens when Wesley disappears in the princess bride. Um, <laughs> that, that makes it hilarious on a whole other level. So if you like Carrie Owens at all, if you like the princess bride, I think you'll find this movie hilarious. Uh, if you like Mel Brooks, I think you'll find this movie hilarious. If you think Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is ridiculous, when you go back and watch it after you thought it was great as a kid, you'll find this movie hilarious. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously, if you go back and watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves like as an adult, it is ridiculous. You're like, this movie is so bad. This movie is so, so bad. <laughs> Alan Rickman, why are you in this movie? <laughs> anyway, I loved it. And I, I had never thought I would get a chance to talk for like an hour about this movie to anyone who wanted to at least feign interest in it. So I'm so thankful that you did that, Chad. Well, I'm so glad to have you come on and talk about this with me. And with that, that is the end of the official eighth episode of Cinescope. 
Remember, you can contact us at facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Please, please, please rate and review on iTunes. And if you have any other feedback or ideas, email me at thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And remember, if you have a movie that you feel like you could talk about for an hour plus or even just 45 minutes, however long you think you could talk about it. If you love a movie, I want to talk about it with you. Just like Mikey just did, you can email me regarding co-hosting. So Mikey, where can people find you online? Well, you can follow what only us old people apparently use now. I just found out from some teenager that people don't use Twitter anymore. But if you still use Twitter, I still use Twitter. Um, and you can follow me at Physification. You can find my podcast, Real World Theology, at realworldtheology.com. It's R-E-E-L, worldtheology.com. I think I've talked about it enough. You kind of have a general idea of what it's about. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you come check it out. Probably the best place to interact with me is on the Facebook discussion group for Real World Theology. But maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to join that if you don't like the podcast. <laughs> so tweet me. Tweet me. Let's say just tweet me, and I will tweet you back like a champ. Awesome. And if listening to this episode hasn't convinced you to at least check out Real World Theology and give it a try and listen to Mikey talk about all the movies with the same <laughs> depth and care that he just talked about Robin Hood Men in Tights, you don't know what you're missing out on. Uh, so definitely go check out Mikey and Real World Theology. As for me, uh, the best place to contact me directly is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all of the show notes, all the complicated spelling, all the contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you, Mikey. It's been awesome having you on the show. I, I really enjoy talking this movie with you. <laughs> what we need here is great strength of feet. <laughs> and I look forward to hopefully having you on again. Oh, yeah. Just let me know, man. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode eight. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode nine. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.